Hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community. Mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. In this episode, you'll hear from host Elma Burnham and Max Broderick of Cannon Beach, Oregon, Wilfred Wilson of Delta, British Columbia, and Will Horniak of Milwaukee, Oregon. These performances were recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon on Friday, February 24th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's the show. Hello again. Thanks everyone for being here in the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon for the 26th annual Fisher Poets Gathering. <laughs> Feels really good to be back in person. Um, doing this on YouTube is not as warm and cozy and awesome, but for those of you who are watching on YouTube, we're so glad you're joining us. Thanks so much um, to Brad Warman for making that happen. And I want to say hello to Joel if he's there watching. We're thinking of you, miss you, saying hello. You're here with us, so thanks so much. And there are, I just want to mention one more time that the poetry contest has begun. We've launched. The actual contest takes place tomorrow at 10 p.m. If you want to enter, all are invited to enter if you have a button and you're here, you have a button. Um, this year, there are a couple rules to include in the poem. Three colors, three sounds, three smells, a voice, Fisher Poets theme appropriate, of course, why else are you here, with a 60 second limit. So, more details, or that will take place tomorrow. Start scribbling on your program and uh, Join us, or join Mo, who will be hosting that tomorrow night, right here, pretty sure. <laughs> okay, for the seven o'clock hour, kicking us off is my good friend, Max Broderick. So happy to have him here. Max is a Bristol Bay set netter and a Cannon Beach local. And um, please join me in welcoming him to the stage. everybody. Uh, Fisher Poets is here again. What do you know? I wrote a little poem this morning. I'm a bit of a procrastinator. Uh, but I think I'm going to start with something you may have heard if you've seen me before. Um, as Emma mentioned, I'm a gill netter on, in Bristol Bay on the Nishigak River. I've been doing that with my family now for I don't know how long, 20 something years. My dad's been doing it for a really long time, and, uh, you know, he's got a few years left, hopefully. Um, and uh, this first poem I'm going to read is called, it doesn't have a title really, it's just kind of contrasting uh, views. <clears throat> Gobs of fish that sink the nets so that cork lines no longer float, 
fathoms and shackles of web and gear empty as they roll into the boat. Easy going holdovers from eight foot low to 13 high. Minus fours that fill in quick to 24 foot tides. Fish that lie in a bag ready to be rolled out with ease. Tangled messes of fish you pull and pick and tease. Single gilled fish, lively, easily released from nylon web. Fish bound up, twisted, toothed, rigor mortis, dead. Nicely hauled in and picked nets, picked nets ready for what's next. Round hauled piles of fish and web, a sticky, slimy mess. Evening staying on top of fish and running the gear just so. Evenings getting asses kicked in rainy, windy blows. Anchors that trip as meant when given a solid tug. Anchors that won't budge no matter. They've done their job and they've dug. Hull's so dandy that the boat will barely float. Hull's so skinny there's no reason for the totes. Routine 14-hour shifts that turn into 53. Off-time lazy games of crib, naps, and cups of tea. 10-minute boat naps while making a delivery. 18-hour zombie sleeps that feel heavenly. Fresh Alaska air that fills the lungs and heart. Damp and soggy, sleeping, cold cabin farts. <laughs> Belugas, bear, ducks, beaver, porcupines, and meese. Hydraulic oil, aluminum shavings, lower unit grease. Easy engine fixes, spark plugs, chase the wires. Harder ones, lower units, engine fires. No fish openers in raging tides and wind 30 knots. Open in calm and sun, catching lots and lots. Eagle soaring above the head, twilight in the sky. Seagulls sitting on your nets, pecking out the eyes. Good seasons, well worth time and effort. Down payment on a house, poor ones too looking around for a discount blouse. New, dry, warm, and sterile 620 gloves that fingers slip right in. Swollen digits squeezed into wet, cold gloves worn in. Perfect layer management, a consistently pleasant core temp. Sweltering heat or freezing cold, layer management unkempt. Sets that hold and hold no matter the strain that they are in. Sets that pull before you've got your outside anchors in. Nets that light up the water a boiling stew of fish. Nets that soak the floods and ebbs and sift and sift and sift. Hot markets, fish worth at least a buck sixty a pound. This year, 48 cents because markets are really down. Sunrises warm and welcome after a long, cold night that lingered. Sunrises full of fog and cold that numb and don't thaw out the fingers. Greenhorn dandy fishermen as eager as they get. Seasoned salty crew and captains, real life fisher vets. Chipper rested crews working hard and efficient. Long shifts tired working like dementia patients. Placid peaceful waters, not a breath of wind in the air. Winds that whip the, blow, winds that whip the waves and blow the cap up of your hair. Neutral, la neutral smelling layers of clothes you haven't yet worn. Tattered, putrid, long underwear, not yet, not washed and forlorn. Letters, or even better, a package from back home, or nothing in the mail for weeks, feeling all alone. 
New faces from visitors down south for a week or two. The same two guys every day, the two that are your crew. Captains screaming and barking orders all the time. Captains thoughtful, ask you to kindly pull the lines. Nets that lie on the beach in figure eights, ready for an opening bell. Tangled, twisted masses of line, living balls of hell. Warm cabins, homemade bread, and heaping plates of rice and beans. Boat snacks, peanut bars, applesauce, canned peaches, and sunflower seeds. Warm bunks, damp bags, sleeping long and hard. Wet naps on top of a fish tote after eating a soggy candy bar. Candy bars and V8 juice while you chum around with your mates. Sneaky, stinky outhouse trips to hide and masturbate. 30 and 40 year captains who've yet to pass the baton to crew and mate and offspring ready to take it on. High tide lulls, campfires and salmon on a stick, gobs of fish up on the beach because the tide fell too quick. Woeful, monotonous, dispirited suffering and pains, bright and sunny, joyous, smiling, grinning gains. End of season gatherings, whiskey, music and cheer or end-of-season scrambles to stow away the gear. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, so uh, I'm just going to read. This is just kind of like an essay uh, about sport fishing. Um, and I'll just jump right into it. Um, I used to think that sport fishermen were cute. Silly sport guys with their tackle vests on and their colorful tackle and their rods excited about going fishing. Using sporty jargon, jargon like, how's the color today? Or any bites this morning? Or what color bead did you get her on? Mottled pink or crimson chartreuse? Always talking about river levels, how she's gonna blow but should drop into shape next week. How funny, I thought, to fish for sport, to spend hours, days, weeks, chasing an elusive fish, which I've killed thousands of in a day. And the gear needed, different types of terminal tackle, sizes and profiles of hooks, leader tests, yarnies, beads, jigs, flashers, eggs, bobber, and associated bobber stoppers, flashers, level wind reels, trolling reels, spinning reels, cute. I'll slap my gill net out and catch dinner for a few hundred families in a few minutes. I'd tried sport fishing a few times as a kid. The most memorable experience was when I was about seven years old, and while fishing for trout, my brother hooked a native coho from Ecola Creek that was the size of me at the time. <clears throat> he somehow teased it to shore where I grabbed it and gave it a big bear hug trying to wrestle it to the top of the bank. It made a tremendous movement and slipped from my hug, snapped the line, wriggled to, into the water, and swam off. Fun. It wasn't until years later that I found myself exploring sport fishing with my best buddy trolling on the Columbia River. I was fresh from Alaska and didn't have any particular interest in spending a day trying to catch another salmon, but I got the invite and had little else to do that day. I also didn't have many expectations. I still thought it was a little silly and almost felt I was betraying some deep down belief I had buried within myself about fishing for sport as a commercial guy. 
We placed our lines in the water, flashers, weights, cut plug herring, and dropped to the bottom. An hour later, I found my hands shaking so hard from excitement and exhilaration and loss that I wasn't able to rebate my hooks. My buddy laughed his ass off at me and said that seeing a Bristol Bay gill netter trembling like a baby over one lost Chinook was about the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. I had hooked a fish, fought it, and lost. It was amazing. I was hooked. Now I find myself obsessed with beads every little variation of which might help me hook a steelhead on the river, the perfect brine for herring or cure for salmon eggs. I monitor river levels and anticipate tide changes. I spend weekends, mornings, holidays, lunches on the river chasing a tug on my fishing rod. How did I become a cute little sport guy? <laughs> I went fishing. Okay, this is the new one from today. Um, ode to set netters, I guess. <clears throat> Out on the water, early morn, set netters brave the winds and storm. Their nets they set with hopeful hearts, hoping a bountiful catch will impart. But with each passing day, their toil is met with disappointment and turmoil. Fish are scarce, nets are empty, their hopes dash, their hopes dashed of catching fish aplenty. The weather turns, the wind grows stronger, their nets are battered for days and longer. The rain pours down, the waves they rise, set netters face these conditions with tired eyes. Their hands are blistered, their backs are sore, their spirits dampen, they hope for more. But still they persevere day in, day out, their commitment to the task they cannot doubt. Although the struggle may seem too great, they stay on the gear, they know their fate. Their livelihoods depend on what they haul, so they keep plugging through the squall. Through sun and rain, through calm and storm, they brave the elements in form. They know one day the fishing will turn, they'll reap rewards they've duly earned. So here's to gill netters, brave and strong, may their nets be full as their journey goes on. May they always find the strength to carry on and may their efforts be rewarded once and for all. <clears throat> okay, um, let's see, I've got another poem here, and it looks like, looks like it's one about my dad. Let's see if I have all the pages here. Let me just make sure I don't stop in the middle of it. Uh-oh. Here we go. We're gonna switch gears, actually. <clears throat> uh, one of the next performers who's coming up here mentioned to me something about his first year up there doing uh, the mud walk. And he said he lost his waders while he was walking through the mud, uh, which makes sense because I've seen it a dozen times. First year, people, you know, they don't expect the mud's gonna be so sticky and sloppy and their boots aren't on tight enough and their boots come off and it pulls your waders, you know, your foots where your knee's supposed to be and all of a sudden you're laying down in the mud. This is a little poem about the mud walk. 
A mud walk is tough for an average Joe with no experience to lead with the toe. If steps are taken with the heel, you'll have to dig through mud to feel for your boot hidden in mud concealed by timeless amounts of slop and silt over eons these mud flats were built. By sucking and raging and roaring tides where deserts and acres of mud abide. I've seen them fall and crawl all over the place, boots left behind in anger and disgrace. The Greenhorn Mudwalk is a sight spectacular. If seen from afar on the beach, one grabs his binoculars. To watch a fellow wallow and swear, somehow there's mud through waders to underwear. A sight to see every season is greenies cursing, cussing, and screaming. So strap those laces and boots on stiff, or they will be lost trekking to the skiff. Once more, though I told you before, don't lead with the heel, but rather the toe. <clears throat> right, I think I have time for one more here. Uh, this one's about canneries getting plugged. It means they, the fleas brought in too many fish and they put you on limits and it can be really frustrating as a fisherman. Sometimes you can't catch a couple of fish, sometimes you catch too much. You either can't pay the bills or the cannery is plugged. You might get paid a buck and a half or maybe 50 cents to pull gear and pick fish and pay your mortgage or rent. You might have a monumental haul and then be told the cannery is full. And in the pissing rain with fish, your nets you'll have to pull. And grumble on your way to the tender that you could have caught much more if the cannery could keep up with all the fish you brought ashore. On your way to the tender, still grumbling a bit about all those fish that were running and now are being missed, comes an announcement on the VHF radio. The cannery is no longer plugged. Back to your sights you go. Due to the volume of harvest the fishermen are bringing in, the canneries put you on limits per vessel, per vessel, my friend. You grumble to your mates about the inconvenience of having to pull your gear when fishing was such a buzz. And tired and sick of not knowing what price you're fishing for and getting pounded by southeasterlies on the shore. But as soon as you catch your limit, you know that you'll head on in. So you stop complaining about the unfortunate and you set your nets again. Pulling and picking your nets clean and plowing to the tender was a pain in the ass. And by the time you get them back in the water, the smoking hot fishing has passed. There's still a relatively steady trickle of fish until just high slack. Then boom, the fish train's there, and you're trying to get your nets back from out of the churning water, because if you catch too many, you charitably donate fish to the company that's paying you pennies per pound for wild Alaskan sockeye sustainably harvested from Bristol Bay by fishers like you and me who are grinding for our pay. We pull the nets while they light up as we think we are past our allotted limit. Knowing there's only a few pushes like this, you, we grumble, God damn it. To know that we are letting by a large portion of the salmon peak and have nowhere to sell our fish during the salmon run streak. Our method of not going over our limit, our method of prevention, is not born of efficiency, not one of pure invention. We horse the net in as quick as we can, all in an unorganized pile, and going back through to get the fish out takes a good while. So you sit on the pick, sifting through tangles of fish with a bit of a hole in your chest, because under your keel are swarms of fish and you're sitting on top of your nets. But woe is us as we head once again toward the tender while cleaning our gear. 
With a boatload of fish, shackles, line, and anchors, halfway to the tender we hear, a crackle on the radio. Could it be Channel 80, the cannery, our masters? Our limits increase once again, 500 pounds per permit. Hooray, those bastards. A whimper of exasperation or desperation creeps out of one of us. So we turn around, plow to that muddy spot where we'll sift this evening's flood. And though we really appreciate the attempt by our buyer to allow us to catch what we can within their capacity, we're mired. We pulled our nets twice already during a really strong push, and now we need to set them again on the muddy banks of the Nush to reach our wavering and apparently unattainable limit of fish when it's thick, they're plugged, and we're in it. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you, Max. Yeah, that's a brutal reality with the limits. Brutal. Um, I want to remind folks that, of course, we're at the Fisher Poets Gathering, but we also have a couple art shows going on in downtown Astoria. George Wilson is showing art at the Imaging Gallery. Duncan Berry is showing art at the Riverside Gallery, and um, Astoria Visual Arts has a grouping of different poet or Fisher artists um, there as well, so be sure to check those out. Next, I want to welcome Wilfred Wilson to the stage. We have um, someone coming south from BC, and Wilfred has 62 years of commercial fishing under his belt. So welcome him. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, COVID is behind us, we hope. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful of making it to 70 years commercial fishing, and I, I, I'm pausing enough I'm going to do that. So I'm going to start out here. Oh. I'm going to start out here with what I call 62 and counting. When the world changes around you, you can be dragged along kicking and screaming or go along for a different ride. Open one's eyes, open one's mind. You may be surprised. A lifetime of totally occupied summer come to an end. Slow to sink in, slow to move on. Gone are the days of mist yet again, holidays, weddings, birthdays lost count of gatherings unattended. So many sporting events watched solely as highlights. Been forced to slow, being forced to slow down can actually be not that bad. Uh, we, we really slowed down the amount of fishing time we get uh, in Canada. It, we're um, hardly fished at all last year there commercially. This is my, uh, my first poem I ever did and uh, this is more in relationship thinking when I was young and there, you've been gone from home a while. I call this Channel Blues. When Channel Blues got you, nowhere is there deeper in your heart you go. Days before streak by, fail to stir this building rip. Thrill of dropping gear put aside. Soon enough, a new moon at you. Time to place feet on land is near. <clears throat> Wishing that could have been in tides gone by, 
instead of two more high waters yet to be. No wonder Channel Blue is eating at you. Um, this one here I touch upon the fact that there's, there's work on the water all year round. Uh, I was working as a, on a safety boat there at, at the freighter superport and uh, we were going to work right through Christmas and uh, my boss felt sorry for me and he said, you know, you got kids, uh, you take Christmas off, I'll fill in. Not knowing he only had to go for one hour and he got, he got his full pull, triple time. So he let me know about that one. Okay, we are the ones, I call this. We are the ones who have started our work day at every moment of the clock. Every day of the year, half past old dark 30 or quarter to somewhere in between. Trade with no one. Land be for rest and relaxation. And yes, to party. Once a waterman, always a mariner we be. Thrill of the chase to catch, pull, build is entrenched in your soul. For many, it is not to be removed. Aches, pains from the ears take their toll. A fee, only too glad do we pay, and pay we do. To miss a child's first breath, first tooth, step, first day of school, and even graduation are only some of our biggest payments. When the, world, when the winds got so strong as to get your attention, Think of the mariners whose world can be up on an elevator and straight down in the time you take a long sip of your tea with a landing harder than anything you will ever feel. Trade not will we, for that elevator takes me to places you'll never see. I was probably 14 or 15 when the when this happened in my life, and uh, I thought back on it and wrote about it. I call this wave riding. I've been on top of 30 footers that gives one something to fear, better than any roller coaster ride, for the ride could last for hours. Been on top of seven footers that gave one of the best thrill of a lifetime. Surfing along in an open 12 foot double ender duck punt, no bailing bucket, no life jacket. No one knows I'm there. No excuse to not stop. For once, common sense prevails. To this day, I regret not to have gone a couple more miles to the next harbor. The feeling of total elation had to be cut short. Floating along, surfing. More surfing, more, ste more steering than paddling. One's butt sealing out last of breaking foam. Looking back, seeing energy bursting coming at you, ready or not. Mariners say they've seen the biggest of them all. They give the biggest chill to one and all of their mates. I'd compare those seven-footers to any and all, for what one rides within determines what and who can say they've seen most, but certainly, I'd say, not all. In, in people's work, you know, the young guys come along and uh, they're full of a lot of ambition and they're going to perhaps show you a thing or two or, or what have you, but we've all seen that. But, so this one I call going dancing.
You new boys playing and showing up at our dance, best be bringing the proper, proper shoes. Because once the beat starts, there are those amongst us can see plain and simple. If you've done been here before and paid the dues. Sure, we all stumble. A big part of what shows is how well you recover from your misjudgment. Sure as the tide turns, doing the gear placement at the right place, right time, as well as a never-ending myriad of tasks will be the way to get the door open to the guy's respect. With permission to step inside that door on a full-time basis will be when you know you have arrived. I live on an island right at the mouth of the Fraser River. Um, it's, it's farm country and then there's, there's moorage along the island as well. And uh, So our, our latitude is, is the 49th there that uh, is the dividing line between so much of Canada and the United States. And uh, so I, I touch upon this a little bit. I call this 49er. We from north of the 49th parallel south of 5440. We sweat, we bleed, we stand on end. <coughs> Wait for the runs to show, only to be in sorrow one day, full of pride on another. Happy to see others jagged, near plugged. As you know, you'll always get your share. Racing to the Packers to get unloaded, to do it more than one day, more than one week, more than one decade gives a pride we carry throughout one's life. Same as you south of the 49th, north of 5440, one fisher to another. We are one and the same, you and me. You sweat, you bleed, you have your sorrow, and I know you have your pride. Only difference from you and me is our flag. Perhaps I sweat a little more, bleed a little more, or not but I know I carry just as much pride as you all south of the 49th and north of 5440. I've, I've owned my own gillometers uh, since 72, but I fished with an uncle on the same boat for the herring. And I was fortunate enough that uh, they, they shut her down in 63, I think it was, because of overfishing for reduction. And I think it was 72 when uh, they opened it for the rural herring and I got involved with my uncle. I call this, they're okay. When young men barely moved into manhood are thrust into a totally different world. Foods, as well as so much more, are all new. Work environment now upon the water. Some crews some crew were to be mean. Our family acknowledged as a good one to sail with by one from the, the first year of the row fishery. Leaving at night in a calm sea to start the season, sound asleep crew was in the forecastle. Where I dreamed a line critical was going overboard. Rope was burning through my hands as I did everything I could to stop. The more it burned, the harder I squeezed. One from bunk above gave me a smack. Not to awaken, roll over, back into that sound sleep. In morning, informed 
that I had nearly ripped the leg off our technician. <laughs> Not to show his face for more than half a day from the bow's folks hole. Captain said, enough is enough, and called young lad up. Timid as can be, he shows. Where I had a language dictionary bookmark showing nightmare. Oh, oh, says he, that's good, good. No, no, I mean, that's okay. No, that's not so bad. Dropping pants did he, showing a severely, I mean severely bruised leg, saying, I begin to think you guys not so okay. Pleased am I to say before season's end, good friends were we. <laughs> I call this one counting. And uh, <clears throat> five generations and counting. As soon as the canners showed involved were we. Been happy and yes, indeed sad. Always involved in fishing traveling far and wide along our coast. Visited more corners of this waterway than most. Each year looked upon as yet to give the best thrill ever. A wonderful, rugged, pristine environment envied by oh so many. Told at a young age, we've always contributed to society. Work at what gives you a passion. Gives one a drive unseen by most. From sail to among the first few to adapt to press gas, compress gas with my grandfather and dad. Been said my dad was the second to place and modify drum design upon the back deck. The advantage stirring compassion to naysayers. After proven, the march of mankind keeps chugging along. Cousin seen a new fishery spark his intellect to adapt marvels of machinery, machinery used to advantage. As this beautiful country is the largest to grow, I am proud to be one Canadian standing on the best land of all. Uh, I, I, know lot, I know a lot of you Americans would disagree with that one, but that's my feeling. <coughs> I'm going to close here now with, uh, oh, pardon me, I got two more. <laughs> Same old, I call this. Creatures of habit to see people in front and behind, day in, day out, hitting the same bump, same pothole, same plywood patches on 100-year-old bridge deck, speeding down the same hill only to have to hit the brakes for the same red light. Drive on the right side in the countryside contributed to road edges decay. When there's nearly another soul to be seen, Never to use the center of camber on road as one's comfy flat to drive upon. We certainly can be creatures of habit, day in, day out. Work on the water has the same creatures, same routine, some with bad habits, day in and day out. Gear placed in the exact place for a lifetime. Who am I to say it's wrong? For if that if that repetition is what moves you, so be it for you, not for I. For I dislike being confined by those damn center lines. <laughs> uh, my family on both sides, we've suffered losses to the sea and uh, 
it, it's obviously very deeply affecting, and uh, I call this one a legacy, and I'm, I'm going to touch upon this. Before any words were put onto paper, C claimed family members and friends. An aunt was lost with all others on board an ocean-going canoe. And from each succeeding generation, and probably ones before, there were some never to walk upon Mother Earth again. Before ship's vast improvements, its toll was the worst. Stated a cat has nine lives. If so for humans, I do not care to count how many I've used up. To see a cousin's body reaction after a boat's survival of, from a sinking on the first placement of a step upon land is a surprise indeed. For me, it takes one day longer to go into shock. In a confused state, it takes a bit of aimlessly wandering about before Sitting with dad over coffee takes what seems less than two minutes to bring me back. Now I realize why he wanted me to consider a life upon land. Generation before me had close to a hundred of families, men and women working upon the sea. And now the one after me has so few. Acceptance for me or decline in sea's involvement is easier to accept for I, do not want more to suffer what those on land go through with losses to the sea. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Wilfred, for joining us and speaking to the tough realities. Also for mentioning going dancing, which reminded me that that's happening tonight at Kala. That's the late night, one of your late night options as well as a poetry slam. For the last one for this hour is Will Horniak. I'm welcoming another Bristol Bay, another Nushagak set netter actually to the stage. Um, he hails from Milwaukee, Oregon. <laughs> Thank you. Where Johnson and Kellogg Creeks meet the mighty Willamette River. Thanks for joining us, Will. Come on up. How you doing? Good. Is this good to be live again or what? You know, I, I don't miss Zoom at all, really. The hardest thing with Zoom was when it was over having to hit the, the end meeting button and then everybody would disappear, and I'd be all alone in my basement. It was like, did that, that really happen, you know? Well, I'm the uh, mud brother that Max was talking about earlier. I crawled out of my waders, and I found mud in places. I didn't know I had places for about a week after that. And Max, I'm also a steelheader, and a friend of mine is a fish biologist said, Will, a steelhead is not a fish. It's the name of the people that fish for them. Because who else would sit in a drift boat in the Clackamas River in January all day long in the rain and not even get a bite and come home and say, that was a lot of fun. Steelhead, right? And thank you, Wilfred. Beautiful. Really nice. Uh, I fished uh, in Bristol Bay on a set net camp, and my first job was uh, jumping into the holds of a bow picker after herring season. 
and cleaning the maggots out of the hold. That was my welcome to Alaska time. And then we shoved off for a 10-hour boat ride in 20-knot winds to the Ugashik River. I was a carpenter, and I was on a crew to build a, a cabin for a set-net camp there. And then I got flown back by our bush pilot to the Nushigak, where I finished out the rest of the season. And this is a little poem I wrote about that experience called The Bristol Bay Deranged. Alaska. Alaska is the song sung by the most enchanting siren. It is the land that beckons like the mist enshrouded island. It is America's last great place and world's largest open-aired insane asylum. And from its many wards of lunatic and nut, bush pilot, homesteader, trapper, driver of ice trucks, it's not easily predicted. I'd wager that the fisherfolk of Bristol Bay are among the most sore afflicted. Now you might be thinking, Will, crazy folks abound in every port in town from Minsk to Mandalay, and I'd agree. And none could hold a candle to the fisher folks of Bristol Bay. I met those gentle folk one summer and spoke my vision bold. I'm here to fish for salmon, the king, the red, the silver, the chum, work like hell and earn my share of gold. Well said, the captain to me roared. Now get down there and scrape those maggots from these holds. And I jumped in and labored three days' time in the company of maggots wriggling in pools of herring slime until the captain said, boys, we're shoving off, it's time. And we shoved off in a 32-foot boat in 20-knot winds with 10-foot swells and seas. Little of that I saw. My head parked in a five-gallon bucket held tight between my knees. As I lay in my bunk half dead, the kindly captain descended and said, there's many a tide on Bristol Bay I've plied and many a mate I've seen in your condition. And there's only one cure, fresh air, I'm sure. So he helped me up the steps, out the cabin door to the windswept deck. So concerned was he for my disposition. But then he pointed to a 16-foot skiff that we were towing, loaded with lumber and gear and tools, and nearly swamped now in all the rough going. And he pulled the boat to port side in that heaving tide, and he pointed and said, that's where you're going. And as I slithered over the rail into the boat, I handed up plywood and tools, and I bailed and bailed. And though I protested loudly, the captain appeared greatly unmoved. And in that pitching skiff, in that pitching brine without a life jacket or line, I cried, Captain, is our job site here fully OSHA approved? <laughs> Not long after that, we were on the Ugashik River Flats, building a set net cabin in the tundra, wind, rain, and hail, cutting lumber, mixing concrete, and pounding nails. But it was there I was living high on the hog, eating and resting my head in a snug eight by 12 foot shed, just me, four other guys, and a dog. Every day I take the five gallon bucket to the lake about a half mile out back for the drinking water, five gallon bucket for the drinking water and 12 gauge pump for the bear attack. The food fell just short of sublime, peanut butter on pilot bread and oatmeal gruel with notes of wet dog, old sock, and diesel fuel. You've probably heard the old saw. There's bush pilots old and bush pilots bold, but none that are old and bold. 
But our pilot, Dan, he was the man trying hardest to break that mold. His life, like his plane, showed many a scrape. Monuments both to bailing wire and duct tape. And the gleam in his eye gave me a fright when he landed one day and said, they want you at the Nushigak site. And just like that, we lifted off into the air in wild flight. Now your life's in the hands of many a man, beach boss, bush pilot, boat captain, when the fates blow you to Bristol Bay, which still lay beneath us when we ran out of fuel and by the skin of our teeth cleared the levee beneath and slammed hard into the gravel runway. Dan just laughed and looked through me with his thousand-yard stare, but I made a mental note to me, watch out for the guys that don't care. <laughs> it was at a place called Flounder Flat on the muddy shores of the Nushigak that I fell into the long season and the rhythm of the tides. Eat, rest, mend on the lows, and work like a devil on the highs. The fish hit the nets on the flood, so just after tides slacked, we'd winch the nets back and pick fish and wash off the mud. With mosquito clouds buzzing around our heads, chucking fish into pickup truck beds, we'd clear our three sites at dawn or noon or midnight and then push pedal to the pickup truck floor because the fish had to be fresh at the cannery scale or it was no sail, a 13-mile ride down the shore. And then back we'd fly to winch the nets back out while we still had water to make the corks ride because the greatest fear was to miss that one big tide and it was a fear well justified. An entire season, a year's livelihood, could be lost or made good on one tide. 30,000 pounds of fish could come in on one set. And at well over two bucks a pound, it was always boys, get out the nets, get out the nets. By late July, with the red season through, and the big money too, the crew mostly went on their way. But the beach boss said, the silvers are coming, why don't you stay? But I was weary, tired, weary to the bone, weary of smelling like bug dope and fish and ready for home. So when I said, what the hell? Count me in for the silvers, I'll go one more spell. I knew something in me had changed. And the beach boss said, well, look who's got a pinch of Bristol Bay salt in his veins. And I said, boss, that I can't say. Just wheel me away with the rest of the Bristol deranged. For in the end, who thought that I would join them willingly and a part of me bides with them to this day. The good, the tough, the skilled, the crazy fisher folk of Bristol Bay. That's the story. Thank you. Thank you. The uh, last time we were live at Fisher Poets, um, I did a, uh, a long uh, love poem, uh, an Oregon love poem. I love where I live in Oregon. And after I was finished out in the lobby, someone found me and said, uh, I'm from the uh, Oregon Coastal Visitors Association. And they said, um, we'd like you to write, if you're interested, a poem uh, about the Oregon coast, extolling the, the virtues of the coast. And I said, sure. I said, what did you have in mind? And they said, well, you know, something that would talk about the beautiful beaches we have and, you know, the, the headlands and the majestic capes and, you know, the fact that there's whale watching and, 
you know, sea lions, and also you'd want to mention the Native American tradition on the coast as well, and the fact that we have a lot of great tourist activities, you know, golfing and surfing and crabbing and that kind of stuff. And then the fact that there's culture on the coast too, you know, we have festivals, art, food, and, and wine, and that kind of thing. And also the fact that these are working communities, you know, fishermen, sawmills, and stuff. And I said, hey, no problem. I said, do you want me to mention the Tillamook blimp hanger, or, you know, the exploding whale, maybe the new Carissa, wreck of the Peter Iredale, you know? Anyway, uh, this is the doggerel that I came up with. It's more of a list than a poem. And I, I kind of ripped off the style of America, the, uh, the, the beautiful, because I needed all the help I could get. <laughs> oh, beautiful, for spacious beaches and the waves' timeless refrain, for summer sun, winter storms, for North Pacific's life-giving rains. Oh, beautiful for spouting whales and barking sea lions, for tide pools and mysteries of the deep, for rivers, Columbia south to Chetco, where eagle and osprey screech, and for the estuaries, Nestucca, Tillamook, Nahalem, the salmon smolts to nurse and keep. Oh, beautiful for earliest of peoples, the land still bears your names, Alsi, Clatsop, Chinook, Kus, Coquille, Sayusla, Siletz, Tillamook, Umqua, Yahats, Yaquina. Legends of south wind and coyote still remain, along with tragic history and pain. From ashes may new generations rise and a future regain. Oh, beautiful, for generations of labor on restless swells, and rugged forest lands, for commerce, for communities, forged by toil of head and heart and hand. Oh, beautiful, for riding bikes, flying kites, traipsing dunes, making castles in the sand, for fishing, crabbing, golfing, surfing, digging for the wary razor clam. Oh, beautiful, for doing nothing save to wander sandy shores where the ebb and flood of tides, fair winds over water, soul and spirit restore. Oh, beautiful for majestic capes and quiet bays, proud lighthouses, parks, campgrounds by the score, for Sitka spruce, fir, cedar, herds of elk that graze where meadows meet the shore. And beautiful for celebration, for festival, for art, poetry, dance, food, and wine, from humblest of chowder to crab cake most sublime. Oregon, oh Oregon, we shed our praise on thee and raise a toast to 363 miles of Pacific coast where headlands meet the sea. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Two minutes. I wanted to finish with a, uh, it's an old song, but it's relevant these days. Uh, you know, the older you get, the more graves you walk upon, and the more graves you dig and bury, and the more people you honor. And uh, we haven't been together in this way for a while, and there's a few people that aren't here that used to be here. And this is a little bit of a uh, 
uh, an, an elegy. Uh, it comes from an event that happened on the uh, East Coast in England in the 1880s. It was a very, very powerful storm that destroyed the uh, Herring fleet. And uh, in honor of all those that we know and those that we don't uh, who have passed. Methinks I see a host of craft spreading their sails a lee as down the Humber they do glide all bound for the northern sea. Methinks I see them yet again and all on boards all right where their sails close reaped and their decks washed up and their side lights burning bright and it's three score and ten boys and men were lost from Grimsby town from Yarmouth down to Scarborough many hundreds more were drowned our herring craft our trawlers our fishing smacks as well alone to fight that bitter night and battle with the swells Methinks I see a host of craft spreading their sails a lee as down the Humber they do glide all bound for the northern sea. Methinks I see them yet again and all on boards all right. Sails close reefed, decks washed up and side lights burning bright. October's night brought such a sight was never seen before. Masts and yards and broken spars come floating to the shore. There was many a heart of sorrow, many a heart so brave. Twas many a hearty fisher lad did find a watery grave, and its three score and ten boys and men were lost from Grimsby town, from Yarmouth down to Scarborough. Many hundreds more were drowned. Our herring craft, our trawlers, our fishing smacks as well. Alone to fight that bitter night and battle with the swells. Thanks for coming out this evening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Woo! And thank you so much for mentioning those who are no longer with us. Um, I know we miss John Campbell and Harlan Bailey and others who I didn't know quite as well, but we will be celebrating some of those people tomorrow at 3 p.m. at the Columbia Theater for Campbell's last set. Um, if I encourage you to go. Okay, one more round of thanks before we take our quick break. Thank you to the Liberty for having us, KMUN, CCM for the live stream, uh, live stream and Brad Wortman. We'll take a quick break and be back here at 8 o'clock. Thank you so much. That was the third set of the Fisher Poets Gathering, recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon, on Friday, February 24th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to thefisherpoetryarchive 
at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she goes. 